I want to talk first just briefly about how hospitals are actually getting financial incentives to do some things that may be unethical, to deny, for example, certain treatments that may work, or, for example, to keep you undergoing treatments that don't work because they get money for it. Let me explain. Folks, a report from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons details how hospitals are getting incentives, uh, payments in particular, for patients of COVID-19, and it details how these incentives could limit patients' care and possibly even harm patients, meaning possibly you, possibly your family members, if you have to go to a hospital to get treatment for COVID-19. Now, folks, it says this. It says the CARES Act, which is what is directing a lot of this. The CARES Act provides incentives for hospitals to use treatments dictated solely by the federal government under the auspices of the NIH. The NIH is overriding, in other words, your doctor's opinion, normal practices that your physician may make. And it says, quote, these bounties, they're calling them bounties, must be paid back if not earned by making the COVID-19 diagnosis and following the COVID-19 protocol. Meaning if you're wondering why if a family member is having severe reactions and the treatments they're getting are not working, uh, folks, it may be again that the hospital is getting money and they don't wanna give up that money if they refuse to give you an alternative treatment because that's how the system works. Now, let me explain some of the hospital lists they have of what these protocols are. Now, it says this, this is according to the source directly here, right? This is directly from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. It says among these, right, they include a free required PCR test in the emergency room or upon admission for every patient with government paid fee to hospital. Added bonus payment for each positive COVID-19 diagnosis. Every person they diagnose with COVID-19, they get a bonus payment. They get another bonus for a COVID-19 admission to the hospital, meaning not only do they get money, not only do they get money if you're diagnosed, they get money if you're admitted to the hospital. So hospitals then have financial incentive, even if it's not necessary, to keep you at the hospital, which might explain, for example, why Omicron, when, again, there's one confirmed death so far. Again, it's about as dangerous as Alec Baldwin, right? Uh, one confirmed death, but they're saying the hospitals are overflowing. And also the overflowing in the hospitals is also preventing treatment for other diseases and other uh, issues that people might have. Folks, in addition to this, there's a 20% boost bonus payment from Medicare on the entire hospital bill for use of remdesivir instead of medicines such as ivermectin. So if you're wondering why, if you're requesting ivermectin treatment and they're not giving it to you, it may be because they're getting money to not give it to you. And if they do give it to you, they may lose that money. Another and larger bonus payment to the hospital if a COVID-19 patient is mechanically ventilated, meaning that they have a financial incentive to put you on a ventilator. People have been, there have been many concerns about the effects, benefits, or lack thereof, possible health, health hazards uh, caused by ventilators. In China, remember that when they were giving ventilators to people, the ventilators they found were actually oftentimes making the problem worse. Uh, some of the information coming out from China was suggesting that it was creating more mucus in the lungs and was actually killing more people than it was saving. 
hospitals get financial benefits if they put you on a ventilator. Now, if you choose to get under or not, that's your choice. But remember, they're getting paid to do that. They have a financial incentive to do that, as well as these other, these other things. They get more money to the hospital if the cause of death is listed as COVID-19. And even if a patient did not die directly of COVID-19, which if you look back at some of the data coming out on the death stats here in the U.S., this is why you had people dying of many different causes. But if they had COVID-19 in their system, if they had the virus in their system, it was being listed as a death caused by COVID. Part of that was by how they were defining a COVID death. Part of it, folks, is also because the hospitals get an additional bonus. They get more money if they list a death as a COVID death, meaning they have incentive again on this. And also they get money if a COVID-19, sorry, they get, if a COVID-19 diagnosis also provides extra payments to the coroners. So folks, in other words, if in addition to all this, if you're diagnosed with it and you die or one of your loved ones die, the coroner is also get additional money. So there's financial incentive if you die as well on all of this. Now, folks, again, the source on this, if you want to go check it yourselves, this is from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And they're detailing, again, the different financial incentives that hospitals have to deny certain treatments, to give certain treatments, whether or not they work, and how they, have, well, how they get diagnosis benefits, how they get coroner benefits uh, for all these things. And if you're wondering why you might be asking for treatments if things are not working and they're refusing it, Again, it may be because they're getting financial benefits and they don't want to give those up. Something important to consider. Uh, folks, I want to detail in just a bit some of the information around what's happening with this Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And I want to show you some of the evidence we have supporting the CDC's uh, new investigation on this and possibly even removing the approval of this vaccine. We'll see what happens with it because, again, it's causing blood clots but also some of the information coming out on the other vaccines, because now suddenly it seems that this is somehow being acknowledged. Whereas they were telling you before that everything was safe, everything was fine, no need to worry about it, 100% effective, 100% safe. We're now seeing neither of those statements is true. And we're seeing now that some of the initial concerns about possible health risks seem to be credible, folks. Uh, one of the ridiculous, uh, one of the ridiculous elements, I'd say, of social media censorship of media censorship and of censorship of us trying to discuss these things uh, because now suddenly they're saying, okay, you can kind of talk about it, I guess, right? I'll be detailing this and a lot of the evidence we have on this. But folks, the CCP now is gearing up for the Beijing Olympics. They're gearing up now for this. And one of the slogans that seems to be used by some of the front organizations acting at the behest of the CCP, including carrying out acts of violence, is stop Asian hate not violence against other Asian individuals, which they themselves are carrying out. They themselves are carrying out acts of violence, but specifically stop Asian hate is and don't criticize the Communist Party of China, one of the biggest abusers of the Chinese people, ironically. Folks, screenshots of a message calling for Chinese patriots, quote, of the kind who know how to fight, and also offering rewards for doxing of pro-democracy Hong Kongers in the UK are circulating online. Amid growing concerns over Beijing's clandestine united front operations in the country. 
One post reportedly posted to a WeChat group called UK Against Hong Kong Independence calls for group members to, quote, get patriots who know how to fight to join the group. A Hong Kong journalist using the pseudonym uh, Perseus852 said via Twitter on Thursday and continues stating, this is according to RFA, anyone attacking a group of Hong Kong protesters is told to, quote, first go for anyone holding a camera a black flag or a microphone, black flags being the Hong Kong independence flags, or a microphone or PA. In other words, target the journalists, target the people recording, target the people who are standing up for Hong Kong freedom, and, quote, go hard against these key points from the start. This is directives through organizations believed to be front operations of the CCP. A second screenshot of a WeChat thread in the same group shows a different user offering a 10 10,000 pound, that's UK money, roughly $13,000 US, $13,325 for the personal details of a former Hong Kong lawmaker and a former British consulate employee, both of whom are now in the UK. Nathan Law has accused the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, of running clandestine United Front operations in the UK and is calling now for a probe on the organizers, get this, calling for a probe of the organizers that they, quote, stop Asian racism and reject the new Cold War rally. Again, folks, they're using this as the new narrative. For links to Beijing, as well as on police to bring those who are attacking the Hong Kong counter-protesters for justice. I won't go too deep into this, folks. But again, this ties to actually something that I'm, well, this is is my wheelhouse. So long story short, I won't say it again because I say it often. You know, my work at Epic Times, I've been with Epic Times since 2006. From 2008 to roughly 2012, 2012, 2013, roughly, I was specifically investigating what you call the United Front Work Department, which is a branch of the Chinese Communist Party that is dedicated to infiltrating and gaining control of foreign bodies, essentially, of creating a united front line on foreign soil, including in the United States, including in New York including in Los Angeles, including in San Francisco, and including just about every Chinatown in the world, whatever country it is, whatever major city it is, and then using these systems to then infiltrate political spheres, business spheres, academic spheres, journalist spheres, and just about everyone you can think of, and to use those channels then to advance the interests of the CCP and suppress anybody, including through physical violence, including through threats of death, they threatened me many times, including through these different methods, to silence the voices they do not want speaking. Now, in 2008, when I launched this investigation, and you can find my report still on the Epic Times website, when I launched this investigation, it was ahead of the Beijing Olympics, the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Now we're in a new phase where the CCP is about to have another Beijing Olympics. And some of the very same actions I witnessed and reported on way back in 2008 where the Chinese Communist Party was organizing its united front operations, different people of different organizations on the front lines of the CCP tied to their front organizations, what under the Soviets you would call ideological subversion, things we discussed, Yuri Bezmenov has talked about, uh, being carried out on U.S. soil and on foreign soil. The CCP now has shown the first signs of doing this again, of organizing campaigns of violence, campaigns of protest on foreign soil in order to suppress dissent. 
And the slogan they're using for this now is stop Asian hate. So watch for that slogan, folks, because it seems the CCP itself has co-opted it. And while they claim to be stopping Asian hate, they're ironically carrying out acts of violence and calling for violence against Asian human rights dissidents. They're using the slogan as cover while doing the very thing they claim that they beat their, that they claim to be opposing. And so beware of the narrative, beware of the way they're using it, and beware of the uh, oftentimes the very common trait where they tend to disguise what they're doing under the very thing that they are accusing others of. And this goes back to Saul Alinsky rules for radicals, typically in the way that a lot of these socialist and communist organizations work. They accuse others of what they themselves are doing. It's a saying in China, it's the thief who shouts, stop thief. And in this case, it's the Chinese Communist Party, the one saying, stop Asian hate, who are carrying out actions of violence against Asian communities. Keep an eye on it for it, folks. Stay informed and stay free. Let us tell your story. Facts always matter. Hearing from everyone, from newsmakers to people just like you. Deep dive interviews that challenge assumptions. Bringing fast, compelling, first-hand news from China. Welcome to Tucker Carl's tonight. We want to begin by noting something obvious because this is the obvious show. If you live in the United States, you may have noticed that many of our public spaces have become permanent homeless encampments. You see trash-filled tents blotting out what were once green and tidy public parks. You step over vagrants drooling unconscious on the steps of train stations on the way to work. You watch as junkies smoke meth without any embarrassment at all and then yell at pedestrians on the sidewalk, maybe at your children. Everywhere, at every intersection, there are beggars. It's what we used to imagine India was like, but this is not Calcutta. This is New York and San Francisco and Austin, Texas. So the question is, what happened? And the short answer is, our leaders did this. No matter what they tell you, homelessness is not an act of God. It's not the result of economic collapse in this country. America did not run out of housing. Instead, a determined group of well-funded ideologues decided to make it easier to live on the streets in this country while doing drugs. Therefore, many more people now live on the streets while doing drugs. See? Not complicated. In 2005, an unemployed alcoholic called Basil Humphrey enrolled in a rehab program in Boise, Idaho. When Humphrey refused to stop drinking, the rescue mission kicked him out. Those were the rules, and he spent months sleeping outside, as so many do. Eventually, local authorities ticketed him for camping on public property. That was the law. The story would have ended there, except that a huge corporate law firm in New York City called Latham & Watkins took an interest in the case on the other side of the country. Now, typically, Latham & Watkins represents Wall Street banks and prominent Democratic office holders. But the firm wanted to change vagrancy laws to increase homelessness. Why did they want that? We don't know. But the firm filed a lawsuit on Basil Humphrey's behalf against the city of Boise. That suit made it to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. In 2018, the court declared that cities have no right to criminalize homelessness. In fact, the court ruled cities have an obligation to provide free housing to the homeless at public expense. The Supreme Court later upheld that ruling. The case was known as Martin versus Boise, and it had exactly the effect that Latham and Watkins 
intended. City officials across the country no longer had an obligation to protect the public and public spaces from drug addicts who decided to live in them. At the same time, politicians suddenly had access to a massive new source of cash. Taxpayer money, many billions in taxpayer money, for something called homelessness prevention. Now, what is homelessness prevention? Well, of course, it's the opposite of what they call it, as always. Here's Seattle's interpretation of homelessness prevention. A handful of Seattle's more than 12,000 homeless will soon be going from the street to a new apartment with stunning views of the Space Needle and Puget Sound. Using part of its share of the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, the city bought three brand new apartment buildings for $50 million for 165 homeless, a price of $300,000 per unit. In Los Angeles, Skid Row is about to get a new neighbor, a 19-story high-rise for homeless, costing taxpayers $160 million or $580,000 per unit. They're part of an expensive push to get the homeless off of sidewalks and out of city parks and into government-subsidized housing, even if it means buying new buildings at market rate from developers. Oh, stunning views of the Space Needle in Puget Sound. Do you have one of those? Well, crackheads do. More than half a million dollars per apartment to house drug addicts at public expense at market rates. So you can see why real estate developers would strongly support a program like that, and of course they strongly do. But luxury apartments are just the beginning. Seattle's most recent municipal budget allocates more than $150 million to other so-called homelessness programs just this year. Now keep in mind, Seattle has fewer than 750,000 people living there. So that's an awful lot of money per bum. It's certainly a lot more than anyone else is getting in Seattle. At the same time it was giving overpriced condos to drug addicts with stunning views of Puget Sound, Seattle allocated just $10 million total for its small business stabilization fund designed to keep family businesses from going bankrupt during the COVID lockdowns. So the city's priorities could not be clearer than that. You lavish money on the least productive, most antisocial parasites in our society, and then you punish Americans who work for a living. Got it? And it's hardly just Seattle. The latest city budget in San Francisco proposes spending $667 million on something called the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And yet, at the very same time, San Francisco's Department of Children, Youth, and Families gets less than half that amount. A city program designed to help low-income families pay college tuition gets just $16 million total. That's about 2% of what the homeless get. So in San Francisco, it makes sense. In fact, it pays to get high on the sidewalk don't bother to get an education, nobody cares. That's the message from the city. Couldn't be clearer. In Austin, Texas, the city's budget for homelessness assistance was $68 million last year. At the very same time, the city of Austin spent just $3.5 million in new loans for struggling small businesses and only $7 million for, quote, mission-critical infrastructure and deferred maintenance at city facilities, like the things that matter. And at the same time as this was going on, the police department in the city of Austin got an $11 million budget cut. So what happened to the homelessness in Austin, the problem they were trying to, quote, solve? Well, to no one's surprise, it has grown by 10% in just two years. You get what you pay for. When you pay for homelessness, you get a lot more of it. See how that works? In Los Angeles, politicians have spent billions, quote, fighting homelessness. This has been accompanied, of course, by a massive increase in the number of people who are homeless. 
Four years ago, the city spent $440 million on what it called solutions to homelessness. That was supposed to fix the problem, did it? Huh? Homelessness in Los Angeles jumped 15% just last year. So this year, LA will spend more, close to a billion dollars on the homeless in 2022. As for the small businesses crushed by the city's lunatic COVID restrictions, you ask, what will they get? Well, they get $62 million total. The city's gang reduction program gets about half that. So politicians in Los Angeles are at the very least very clear about their priorities. What has this done to LA? We don't have to look far to see the answer to that. Last week, a homeless man walked into a furniture store on the west side of Los Angeles and murdered a graduate student who was working alone there. He stabbed her to death for no apparent reason and then walked out. He's still at large. She was 24, now she's dead. Today, her father told Fox and Friends that he holds city officials responsible for the killing. Watch. What's endemic in our society right now is that everybody seems to be oriented on giving back rights and bestowing favor on people that rob others of their rights. We should be celebrating the good in people and trying to recognize that that's the job they have is to try to elevate that, to make communities better, to make people care more, to not tear down communities by exposing them to people that are falling out the bottom that really don't care about the other human beings and just think they can do whatever they like in our society. And they are doing it more and more in every community. Pretty composed for a man who just lost his child, but he's absolutely right. Focusing our attention and our money on people who contribute nothing, who only detract from the project that is this country, you don't help their communities or anybody's community, who hurt other people, who live solely for themselves, who are a danger to the rest of us, that's insane. And so that girl died, and she wasn't the only one. Last month in Los Angeles, a man called Carrie Bell murdered a 70-year-old emergency room nurse. She was on her way to work, one of the people we should be celebrating. Now she's dead. Who's the man who killed her? Well, Bell had a long criminal record. He had a prior arrest in LA. He had arrests in other states as well. But authorities let him go and kept letting him go. Bell was homeless. He was a victim. He was part of a protected class. And then he killed somebody. Here's Fox LA's report on that. Days after a brutal attack at a Union Station bus stop, a beloved nurse lost her life. Sandra Shells worked at LA County USC Medical Center for decades, where she was highly respected and revered. Shells was allegedly assaulted Thursday morning by a homeless man, now identified by police as 48-year-old Carrie Bell. They say he hit Shells for no apparent reason, the force knocking her to the ground and fracturing her skull. Police say they found him sleeping nearby about 90 minutes later and arrested him without incident. She was an emergency room nurse walking alone to work, and now she's dead. Another woman murdered by the homeless. And don't lie to yourself. No one in L.A. is ever going to do anything about it. You're probably going to hear outraged noises for a few days, harumph, harumph, harumph. But politicians will quickly get back to showering the unhoused community with another billion dollars. What you're watching here is civilization collapsing in real time, and it's not new. Here's video our producers shot in Los Angeles in the spring of 2019, almost three years ago. It shows homeless encampments downtown on three separate blocks. It starts at 5th and San Pedro, and then it goes west, seemingly forever. So in January of 2020, the LA Times reported that, quote, California's railroad tracks are now lined with men and women sleeping in tents or under cardboard boxes. In America, by the way. Well, in response to this, 
Governor Gavin Newsom announced another $12 billion in state funding to, quote, fight homelessness. How'd that work? We'll hear the results. From Skyfox, the images are startling. Thousands of empty or damaged packages lining the tracks along the Union Pacific LA Railway. Amazon packages, UPS boxes, all meant for delivery to customers along the West Coast. They're opened by cargo thieves who take advantage of the trains stopping or slowing down to break into the containers. Union Pacific officials saying they've had a 160% increase in cargo thefts in the L.A. County area with over 90 containers broken into every day. So I guess they didn't clean up the railroad tracks. $12 billion and disorder got worse. But of course, allowing people to live outside and defecate outside in public places and use drugs outside in front of our children is both the cause and a symptom of growing disorder and chaos. It's the degradation of what holds us together as a civilization. So our producers are back in LA right now shooting a documentary for season two of our Tucker Carlson original series on Fox Nation. It's gonna be out soon. You're seeing some of the footage on your screen right now. What you're seeing now was shot this morning on Skid Row. Skid Row in LA is a 50 block neighborhood east of downtown. And it's hard to overstate just how dystopian it is. You should go for yourself sometime and drive through, roll them up, but watch. You will not believe this is America, the country you grew up in. This is what California got for $12 billion. Not fewer homeless, just better funded homeless and thousands more of them. So like COVID and Oxycontin and virtually everything else that's wrecking the country our ancestors built, this is a manufactured crisis. It didn't happen by accident. People paid for it. In New York, officials have given drug addicts priority over virtually everyone else in the city. A lot of working poor in New York. We ought to be celebrating them. The city isn't. It's ignoring them. In 2015, the annual budget of the New York City Department of Homeless Services was $950 million. This year, it's double that. It's about $2 billion. Now, how much is that? Well, what they're spending on the homeless in New York City is more than the city's entire public university system more than they get to educate far more people. So the homeless are getting more per student to live outside and smoke meth. Is that creating fewer homeless? Probably not. In fact, New York's homeless population is now at its highest level since the Great Depression. So where's all this money going specifically? Now we could do five hours on this, but here's just one example. That money is going to an overdose prevention center, preventing overdoses, which in fact means helping the homeless get high. Officially called an overdose prevention center, it's a place where users can snort, smoke, swallow, or inject illegal drugs in a controlled environment. Two centers in East Harlem and Washington Heights are the first in the nation to allow supervised drug use. The head of an East Harlem community organization says the facility and a nearby methadone clinic have led to an unwanted influx of addicts. They all come here from different areas of the city. We never had this around here. No matter how bad it was through the 60s, all of that, we never had this around here. It's pretty funny watching people look confused as they see this. What's going on here? I don't remember this. But it's not complicated at all. It couldn't be simpler. Politicians are making it much easier to be a homeless drug addict in the United States and much harder to be a law-abiding member of the middle class. What's the effect? Well, let's see. The middle class is dying, and we now have record numbers of drug-addicted vagrants. What does that tell you? It tells you that incentives work. 
If you destroy the nuclear family, which they have, if you decriminalize drugs, which they have, if you hand out tents and needles to addicts, what do you think's gonna happen? You're gonna get more addicts living in tents. Again, it's not complicated. This is not a vexing public policy question that requires the Brookings Institution to investigate. It's not like fixing social security. And the solution is as simple as the problem. Here's the solution, stop putting up with it. Say no, no, you can't smoke meth in the park. You're not allowed to crap on the sidewalk. Pull up your pants and get the hell out of here. Go somewhere with lower standards. Head for a place where politicians don't care about their people because we do care. And that's why we're hauling your tent to a landfill and cutting off your checks today. You are a drug addict, get a job or leave. This is our city. You are not allowed to wreck it. You didn't build it. You know, that's not hard. That works. We know it works because that's how societies function for about 2,000 years. If you're an unmarried man with no job, you are not allowed to destroy things. It wasn't your right. And by the way, this is how successful families still operate to this day in the privacy of their own homes when the NGOs aren't watching. Parents reward good behavior and they do not tolerate bad behavior. Why? Because if you let your kids smoke weed at the breakfast table, they will. So you don't let them. So why not apply the same standard to the drug addicts at Penn Station? Because what we're doing now isn't compassionate. It's an attack on civilization. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Brian Kilmeade. And I'm Ainsley Earhart. And click here to subscribe to the Fox News YouTube page to catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. What is the Trusted News Initiative, or TNI? Simply, Global Information Control. The Trusted News Initiative was founded in 2019 by UK state broadcaster, the BBC, and its global media and big tech partners. The TNI claimed its first order of business was to promote freedom and democracy by preventing foreign interference in the 2020 US presidential election. But there was more. The TNI's big pharma backers had a vaccine agenda in mind from the start. The TNI issued a warning in 2019 that anti-vaxxers are gaining traction across the internet, requiring algorithmic intervention. That means very smart computer programs to identify, attack, and neutralize anti-vaccine content. How does the TNI work? Flooding your screen with repetitive pro-vaccine messages that normalize the experimental vaccine. They demonize the unvaccinated to create division and drive public acceptance of vaccine compliance. The TNI also pays off so-called fact-checkers to run false fact-checks and hit pieces on scientists and journalists who buck the official narrative. Hundreds of frontline medical professionals, scientists, researchers who dare to speak out against the official narrative, gone, disappeared from social media by the TNI. They didn't ask approved questions. They didn't come to approved conclusions. So now, top doctors from Harvard, Stanford, and Oxford are dangerous experts who must be neutralized. TNI director Jessica Cecile complains that anti-vax content often includes interviews with people who have medical degrees. There is frequently a grain of truth to what is claimed. That makes untangling the false hard. They attack early treatments that cure COVID because they feel it poses a threat to the vaccine agenda. 
The TNI network also ignores stories of tens of thousands that have been injured by COVID vaccines in order to promote the false narrative that they are safe and effective. It's not just careers the TNI is destroying, but real lives as it suppresses the true numbers on vaccine adverse effects and early treatment protocols. Who's paying for this harmful suppression of science? You are. We are. We pay taxes. The government pays Big Pharma and Big Pharma spends almost $7 billion advertising with TNI corporations. TNI companies also have pharma investments, massive conflicts of interest. See how that works? And at the beginning of the pandemic, when it mattered, when the truth could have helped science find the origin of COVID, the TNI aggressively shut down all inquiry into this. They called scientists who simply raised the question of virus origin as a lab leak from the Wuhan lab conspiracy theorists. A year later, the so-called conspiracy theory has been deemed the most plausible scenario. Remember Orwell's dystopia in 1984? The Ministry of Peace made war. The Ministry of Love tortured. The Ministry of Truth told lies. And in 2021, the Trusted News Initiative promotes disinformation while keeping the true science from us. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same things that simply aren't true without checking facts first. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy.
down, you need to calm down.